John McEwen is a founding member of the seminal group Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. The group recorded an album 50 years ago called Will the Circle Be Unbroken that brought together some of the most iconic roots musicians of its day. Mother Maybelle Carter, Doc Watson, Merle Travis, Roy Acuff, just to name a few. John recently released a book memorializing this record with many pictures and stories of the recording process. I had a chance to chat with him about this amazing book as well as what it was like to record with these legendary musicians. I hope you dig it. Well, you have this new book coming out called Will the Circle Be Unbroken? And it tells the story of recording uh, the classic, there it is, the classic Nitty Gritty Dirt Band album. And I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about the project and why you decided to do it. Well, the book project came about, well, 50 years ago (laughs) when my brother produced the album because I, well, I'd ask Earl Scruggs if he wanted to record one day in Boulder, Colorado, and he said, I'd be proud to. And a week later, Doc Watson was playing at the same place in Boulder, Tulagi's. And I told him, well, Doc, we're making an album with Earl Scruggs. Would you be interested? I just met Doc that night, and he sounded like he was really interested. I put him on the phone with my brother, who was our manager, the Dirt Dance manager and record producer, and it came together. Uh, eight weeks later, we started recording in Nashville at Woodland Studios, and we ended up doing 36 songs, 36 songs in six days. And uh, the album came out, and the book is about the making of this album. And this album is kind of like the dark side of the moon, the dark side of the banjo, you know, it's uh, of bluegrass. It's been on the Amazon charts for the last two and a half years in the top 20. I think it's around number five on the bluegrass one right now. And I'm sure there's a lot of bluegrassers going to say, when is that thing going to go away? But it's uh, it has stories by, I wrote most of the book and, wrote stories behind every photo, like things about what's going on in the photos, Jim Martin, Vassar Clements, and various people. And Marty Stewart contributed a nice article to this, and Gary Scruggs, who was important in the beginning because he's the one that convinced his parents to come see the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band in 1971. And, and um, they came to Vanderbilt University when we played our first show there. It was at a time when the, the band was doing things like, like Good Night My Love and, and Cajun Rock and Bluegrass. And we started off with, with uh, Foggy Mountain Breakdown that night, which Earl really liked. And... The audience loved it so much, we did it as a first encore again. And so that kind of was a good way to start a friendship. And six months after that concert is when I asked Earl if he wanted to record with us. We'd gotten to know each other over the phone. No internet then, you know, 1971. And that's when it started coming together. Super interesting. How did Earl Scruggs feel about the electric bass? Well, his son, Gary, played electric bass. And he, he was working with 
the Earl Scruggs Review, which was Gary, Randy, and Stevie Scruggs, and Josh Graves, a Dobro player, and um, Vassar Clements. And Vassar wasn't always there, but he went out sometimes. And he was he was okay with the electric bass. Gary played it like an acoustic bass. He didn't do, he wasn't overpowering at all. And uh, it was basically Americana type of bluegrass. So yeah, Earl was into it, but we wanted to use an acoustic bass on the uh, Circle album. Earl introduced my brother and me to, to uh, the bass player. We got there a week before the sessions to rehearse at Earl's house. Boy, was that a trip. Was that a trip in time hanging around, staying at Earl Scruggs' house for a week and uh, rehearsing some of the songs. He took Bill and me out to the Grand Old Opry. First time on stage at the Grand Old Opry, I was backstage and I go up to meet the bass player, Junior Husky. He's playing a song. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, I'm awful proud to meet you, boys. I'm looking forward to doing this recording. <laughs> and uh, just a minute. He, he looks out at the stage. He's playing along with Ernest Tubb on the show. And he's talking to us. And he goes, just, just a minute. Doom, doom, doom. He had to end the song. <laughs> and he, he goes on and says, yeah, I cut my teeth on these songs and looking forward to doing it with you. And uh, we left that. And I guess, well, Earl, he's certainly the right bass player. <laughs> <laughs> and he was considered one of the best in town. And Terry, the guy that's in Graskell's, credits this album was giving him a, a direction for his career because hmm. he studied Junior Husky and a lot of pickers over the years. Um well, Allison Krauss and Jerry Douglas and all kinds of people. Sam Bush. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, a bunch of people make comments in this book. Rhonda Vincent. And uh, I got their impressions of the Circle Be Unbroken album and uh, to contribute to it. That's awesome. Yeah, there's so many names in the book. I mean, it... The, the list just goes on and on of people who contributed and who are mentioned in it and all that, you know, it's, it's some of the, just the most iconic musicians in, in, uh, American string band history, you know? And so I think it's really, it's really cool to look at. And the ones that, that made comments, they were just starting then. They weren't iconic. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> Newgrass Revival, Newgrass Revival was with, uh, well, Curtis Birch and, uh, Sam and John Cowan and anyway they were 1974 they were going through Colorado they ended up I had them stay at my house for a couple days and that was really fun that's how I got to know them and they were burning it up then but uh, the Circle album made quite an impression on all of them right absolutely so how did you gather all the pictures for the album did you have most of those or other people how'd that work out my brother loved to shoot photos, and he kept his camera around, and he shot all the pictures of the Circle album sessions hmm. and early Dirt Band. The early Dirt Band shots were his photography that was used in the promotion of the band. Mm -hmm. And what's fun about this to me 
is it catches the band in its early stages of, well, um, here's Les and me and, and Jimmy were rehearsing in a dressing room in 1967. <laughs> and, oh man, so weird. And that's another shot of us playing at a, a club and, and Bill shot all these photos and it was just time. He gave them to me, oh, in 2010 or so to do what you want with these. Mm-hmm. I shot them, but you may as well have them. They're yours. <laughs> and uh, I put them together in a video show that I do when I play live. I take out Les Thompson, the original Dirt Band bass player. Mm-hmm. He played mandolin on the Circle album. And um, John Cable was in the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band in the 70s. I take him on the road and Matt Cartsonis. And we play in front of a screen that shows all these photos and some eight millimeter footage. It's a multimedia show that goes on behind us or while we're, while we're performing. And it covers the history of the Circle album, many songs from it. Um, and it's really fun to do. In fact, I'm doing it, well, you can edit this out, but I'm doing it this Saturday at the Owensboro Bluegrass Museum. And John Cowan's sitting in. I'm looking forward to that. That's great. Well, like I said before, there's, there's so many iconic musicians on the, the album. And uh, you talked a little bit about um, the process of getting them together. You talked to Earl Scruggs first, and then um, and then it kind of came together um, after that. But how, how did, um, it, was it him? Was it you? Was it um, uh, your, Bill, your brother? Who, who kind of put together, bringing together all these, these people? Because it really kind of, it seems like it, it started small and then kind of ballooned out a little bit. Yeah, I was good. I was happy with Earl and Doc and Merle Travis. Bill got Merle Travis. And then we asked Louise Scruggs, his wife, if she could, can you contact Jimmy Martin? Because my brother and I had played Jimmy Martin music for a couple of years before the Dirt Band. We played around L.A. at various clubs, and we'd always include a couple of Jimmy Martin songs. And uh, Bill liked performing for a couple of years, but then he didn't like it. So he started managing people. And uh, then Earl got Maybell Carter for us. Okay. I wanted to get Maybell Carter because, well, one of my early albums that I got in 1964 or five before the Dirt Band started was Songs of the Famous Carter Family by Flatt and Scruggs. And they did all Carter Family songs. It was a wonderful, it's a wonderful record. And uh, Vassar Clements, oh man, I asked girl one day, I said, well, have you found some fiddle players that can handle the whole album? He says, I found one man, <laughs> one man can do it all. I said, well, what's his name? He says, Vassar Clements. And that's a strange name, you know, if you haven't heard it before. And I said, well, can he do it all? I didn't realize that I'd been hearing Vassar's music for years with Bill Monroe, with Jim and Jesse, with uh, Jimmy Martin, and Flatten Scruggs even, but uh, they didn't do album credits, you know? And I asked her, well, can he handle it all? And he says, he'll do. <laughs> he'll oh, do. <laughs> okay, he'll do. 
and I'll take your word for that. And and he did. Basham was always proud of the fact that, yeah, that Circle album gave me a career. He started working solo shows, doing his tonight Basher Clements, and uh, then when Olden in the Way, Olden in the Way came around, they called him up to come play on it a few years after the Circle album, and. And he, he yeah he played on hundreds of records. Yeah, he's something. Yeah, that old in the way that was Garcia Grisman, right? Yes. Yeah. And Peter Rowan. Oh, and yeah, Peter Rowan. God, I forgot about that. Um, yeah, that's yeah. It, it seemed like that that really did kind of when you look at his um, his projects after that album, uh, it kind of uh, it expands and and but I mean like you say before even before the album he was doing a lot of stuff. He's an incredible fiddle player. Yeah, for sure. And he was quite a quite a neat guy he was you know dad bam i'm this fiddle i can't do nothing with it today this dad bam thing you'd always say dad bam <laughs> and he quit swearing he so, told his mom his dying mother that he's cleaning up his act quit drinking and saying anything bad i, I never heard him say one expletive other than dad by him and nobody knew what it meant <laughs> <laughs> i think he made it up that's pretty awesome well i was interested if um in looking back on the sessions if there's any um standout performances or sessions or songs that really stick out in your mind as like being really special the whole thing was incredible but are there any ones that are, are particularly special to you we got lucky we got lucky that everybody was in top form and everybody on the sessions for the album, Vasher did Lonesome Fiddle Blues, and he burned through it, and we kept up. And Roy Acuff sang Wreck on the Highway as one of his best performances ever, I believe. He really put it out. And I Saw the Light. Jimmy Martin was funny, and I Saw the Light. He goes, he came up to me and says, hey, John. I'm going to sing this so much like Roy Acuff, you won't be able to tell if it's me or him. <laughs> and I can't tell which one he's singing, <laughs> but uh, but he did that. And uh, Orange Blossom Special, that was really fun to cut because Vassar had new notes to put into it. And uh, it was just, I can't think of any song that was should be cut off cut out dobro player oswald he showed us the history of the dobro through some of the music he played like sailing on to hawaii why is that on there well that's because the dobro was an important part of the music before well not it was it came in in the 1920s as a hawaiian guitar mm -hmm. you know and then that was one of the songs they learned sailing yeah. on to Hawaii yeah. and, uh, and Oswald became it, it explained, it explained in the book, he became a dobro player with Roy Acuff in the thirties and he sang harmony and played that whiny dobro. He was kind of like Buck Owens sidekick. Oh, what was his name? The guy that played with Buck. Oh, come on, John. I, I know that name. Ah, the guy that sang harmony and played guitar. Anyway, it, it was a, 
a thing where he was going to get credit on the album, Bashful Brother Oswald. And there was a lot of things about, I, you know, here's a guy that couldn't read or write. I didn't know that until I had him fill out his session form hmm. to get paid for doing the sessions. And he, he signs it with an X, you hmm. know, and uh, he didn't know how to read or write. Wow. And, and he didn't know this, how to tune his dobro what the notes were for the strings. He just heard it. Wow. I mean, it's really a soulful place to play from. Yeah. Where you're just, uh, you, you need a G, a G note there? Well, I, I don't reckon which one that is. Uh, uh, well, here, here's my third string. And he'd hit it and, oh, yeah, yeah, tune that to this. And, I mean, he knew how to get it in tune but he didn't know what the notes were really. Wow. And, but when he put that bar on the strings, he knew how to make it sound. My mother always told me, uh, who is the man playing that dobro? It always makes me cry when I hear him playing it, you know? And uh, that was really sweet. And uh, then, then, uh, for us to become the band on a few songs, well, Jimmy Ibbotson sang the uh, Lost Highway, and Junior Husky and Vassar, who both played with Vassar, uh, and Junior Husky and Vassar played along, and they both played with Hank Williams Sr. And they were kind enough and said, I, I, that sounds just like Hank. You know, it's, Hank would have been proud of that. And Jimmy Ibbotson was just a 23-year-old kid in the dirt band and singing this classic country song. Ugh. That's amazing. Well, I, I love the interaction with uh, mother Maybell at the, um, the beginning and she talks about the auto harp and um, that just seems like very important historically. Like, um, is it, was that really the first time she had recorded um, wildwood flower with the auto harp? Yes, sir. Yes, it yeah, was. It's incredible. And she did it. And I'm going to do this in F natural. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason she said that, is because you don't retune the auto harp, you tune it up to pitch. And F is an F. But her guitar, she would tune the G string a half step, she tuned her whole guitar a half step flat. You know, so her G string was a G flat. F F was a um well, the D string was a D flat. And uh, so when you they're all tuned a half step down, so when she capable with the second fret to play keep on the sunny side, she was actually playing in, in D flat, but so she could sing better. And so the guitar sounded better. And, uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, well, I'm glad she laid down that track. Cause you know, that's, I mean, it's a classic song and, and, and she's the one to do it, you know? Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Well, I also love, um, uh, the interaction between doc Watson and uh, Merle Travis, uh, where they're, they're meeting for the first time. And he talks about naming his kid after Merle Travis and all that. And, um, uh, I was just wondering what it was like to kind of be in the room around those guys when those conversations were happening. Well, doc was sitting at his position, getting ready to do the next song. And Merle Travis walked in the studio and walks over to him and Hey, Doc, Merle Travis is here. Oh, come on over. And they start talking. And I had to interrupt and say, excuse me for a minute. I got to move this mic around. 
my brother's in the control room going, get the mic, get the mic in front of Merle Travis. <laughs> you know, we were losing it. We're, I can't hear him. And, and you can hear me moving the mic around for a couple minute, a minute there. And, and uh, then Doc and Merle start talking. And yeah, they hadn't met before, these two giants of acoustic music. And uh, they had to share their mutual admiration for each other. And they did it in such a humble way. Well, yeah, that was a, that was a good record, but uh, I, I had to record that all in one take, you know, one day or whatever. And I made up most of those songs. It wasn't like I wrote the songs or I just kind of made them up, you know. And Doc was uh, enamored by Merle and named his son after Merle Travis and Eddie Arnold. Merle Eddie Watson was Merle Watson's name. And, uh, yeah, that was really exciting to catch, this little historical moment. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and Merle Travis was such an effortless um, guitar player. You know, like when you watch him play, it's just like, oh, it's it's, it's funny that, that, that his fingers are going crazy, but it just feels natural and smooth. And, and you can kind of see that connection between um, a Doc's playing and Merle's playing as well. Yeah, and uh, Merle was a natural, as they say. Uh, from Kentucky, and he wrote songs about Kentucky. He wrote before uh, Muhlenberg County was taken away, before Mr. Peabody's coal train hauled it away, according to John Prine. But uh, Merle was writing Dark as a Dungeon and things of the coal mining, uh, the coal mining people, you know. And uh, I could really believe him when he sang those songs. Sure. Yeah. Well, I have to uh, thank you because I interviewed you um, uh, when, when, you, when your last book came out. And at the time I was learning um, Deep River Blues from Doc Watson. And oh, I, yeah. I had mentioned it as my first finger picking song that I'd, I'd learned in that style and that kind of Doc Watson, Merle Travis style. And um, and you gave me a, a tip. Um, you, I was having a hard time with the thumb, you know, the doom, doom, doom kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And he said, just just pick a G chord and, and watch TV and just do it for like an hour. Or something, you know, and and I, I did that and I got it down finally so I can play that oh. song. And uh, so I wanted to say thanks for that because that really helped yeah deep river blues was doc washington was on the the link letter show hootenanny in the in the mid 60s and he's up there playing deep river blues and my father said we're all watching the family tv and i'm like 17 or something and my dad said now, how a guy like that gets on television, I don't understand. <laughs> and I realized what generation gap meant then. And I wish my father had lived long enough to see the Circle album be made, but he didn't. My father was not encouraging. He told me, I think this music thing you're getting into is taking you down the wrong road. You're going to end up playing in bars and you're going to be smoky and people won't even be listening. And, and uh, but then he ended up buying my first banjo for me on my 18th birthday. So he was uh, offered his opinion and got me a banjo. A good one, too. That's a, that banjo's in the you heard of have you heard of the Music Instrument Museum in Flex in Phoenix? No, no, I haven't. 
It's a huge, it's one of the most popular, it's right second to the Grand Canyon in Arizona as far, far as popularity. It has a 100,000 square feet of instruments, all the best instruments from around the world. And I have an exhibit in there of early dirt band instruments that led to the Circle album. And my banjo's in there and, and a guitar and a auto harp and a slide guitar, Jimmy's harmonicas, a wash tub bass. Anyway, it's a really nice exhibit. What kind of banjo was it? It was a Ludwig four-string, Ludwig four-string that was converted to five-string with a little extra piece of wood added along the neck. And it sounded really good. <laughs> I hadn't had a real banjo until that one. I saw the Dillards in 1966, 60, no, 1964, and Doug Dillard took me away with his banjo. The Dillards were new to L.A., and Rodney Dillard wrote a thing in this book, too, that is really uh, a really nice piece. Rodney Dillard's a reason I'm talking to you, because without the Dillards, I wouldn't have been in the music business. Without me being in the music business, I wouldn't have played banjo without the Dillards. And uh, I wouldn't have wanted to beat Earl Scruggs. <laughs> so thank you, Rodney and Doug and all you Dillard guys. You ever listen to the Dillards? I'm not super familiar. I know the name, but I'm not real familiar with them. They were the Darlin family on the Andy Griffith show. Mm. And uh, they played the music and they drove out to LA with no money and got on that show in two weeks. They were out there about two weeks. And then they started playing clubs around LA and, and got a record deal and put out their first album. And it took off. They were the perfect combination of Flatt and Scruggs and, and Smothers Brothers. It was really, they were funny and played great. That's awesome. Well, speaking of the Scruggs, I was going to ask you about Foggy Mountain Breakdown. Um, uh, there's not on the album, there aren't, aren't like the credits for it, but I was wondering who all was playing on Foggy Mountain Breakdown. Was that just Nitty Gritty Dirt Band or did those guys come in? That was the Dirt Band. Uh, I played banjo and Les played mandolin. Junior played bass, Vasher played fiddle. And, uh, and I think Randy Scruggs might have been one of the rhythm guitar players. And, and uh, yeah, we did Foggy Mountain Breakdown. It didn't make, that was the only song that didn't make the cut on the first edition. The album was just too long, you know? It, it went from a two record, being a two record set to being three records, which the record company was like, what? No, we can't do that. And when they saw the cover that my brother had designed, all the, uh, the heavy board and, and things, um, the sleeves even have printing on them, and the photography is in incredible. It's on several different pages. They didn't want to make, the record company didn't want to make the cover. But they did because Bill had the master tape. <laughs> he said, I'm going to erase the tape if you don't make the cover. And anyway, that was a funny little thing. But the Dirt Band at the time, at that time we had, I hesitate to say it, but a lot of power. 
a lot of belief from the record company. Uh, and at that time, we could, we, we had three hits on the Uncle Charlie and his dog Teddy album. And that album cover became a billboard on Sunset Boulevard, which was up for five months. Some of Shelley's Blues, House at Pooh Corner, and Mr. Bojangles were on that album. And the Circle album was the album that came next. And it was really a, a surprise. The record company president said, well, my brother and I went and had a meeting with him to try and get a budget to make the album. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think I'll sell 10 of these, but you guys are so passionate about it. I'll, I'll put up the money, $22,000. And all that story of that meeting and what went on is in the book. And it's really neat. $22,000 for, for the airplane tickets, the studio, the tape, the musicians, the food. <laughs> it was like, well, good thing we did it two track because uh, it's a lot cheaper. <laughs> For sure. Well, the book is just full of so many amazing uh, stories and musicians and all that. Um, when, when, when people want to find out um, uh, to buy the book and um, and uh, purchase it and all that, what, what's the best place to uh, to look for it? Well, one place, if you want to sign copy, you go to my website and uh, that comes with a, a couple of extra things. Or if you want to save some money, um, go to Amazon. Amazon's pricing it now at a good price. But the book, basically, it's a $50 book. But it's the kind of book that you'll have around for a long time. If you're one of the millions of people that got the album, because the album itself is multi-platinum, and uh, people have... It's just amazing. The people have adopted this like a, a religion. A, 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 she's got a following, a cult following, and a popular whatever following. And I've heard for years that my father heard me listening to that record. He said, what are you listening to there, son? And I thought he was mad or something. But we listened to it, and he loved the music, and I did too, and We've been talking ever since. Or I was playing rock and roll, and I, I heard the Circle album, and I sold all my stuff and got a mandolin, you know, or a banjo or whatever. And uh, I got into radio because of the Circle Be Unbroken album. I wanted to get music like that on the air. Just uh, endless. I, I've been told two or three times do you know how hard it is to divide a three record set when you get divorced? <laughs> <laughs> I said, That's no, but you can always buy another copy. Right. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, it's it. The, the book itself is a piece of art. So many beautiful pictures in it and uh, so many great stories. And, um, yeah, I just love it. So, um, thanks for, for connecting with me and chatting about it. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad we get to, to, to share that together still. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for letting me get the word out because it's kind of hard to get airplay on a book. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know? But, uh, yeah, it's my, my second book.
<laughs> and I'm really proud of that. And the Dirt Band guys all wrote a nice article that is in here, the different viewpoints of, of what they saw, how they saw it going on. I mean, you know, they we were 21 through 25 years old. They were very young. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, at, uh, that was all the questions I had for you. Any last things you want to say before we wrap things up? I would suggest you get, the, if you don't have the album, you should get this album as a piece of American music history and the book. And you sit there, play the record and read the book and you'll be at the sessions. <laughs> It's like going to the sessions when you read about all the stuff that went on. It's fun. Absolutely. It's fun for me anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's fun for me too. I did that. I was listening to it on Spotify and, and, and scrolling through the book. I got uh, you know, a PDF copy of it and uh, I felt exactly that way. I was like, it kind of feels like being there. So that's a good way it to say it. It opens the door to the magic of the sessions, you know, to, to uh, take it, it, take some of the mystery out of what happened there and makes people go, Oh, that's cool. Oh, and then that happened. And then, you know, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. Right. All right. Well, thanks again for connecting with me and um, yeah, it's a great book. So congratulations on it. Well, thank you. And looking forward to people spreading the word. Check out my Facebook site, John McEwen music and uh, do a friend thing or go to my website. My mother thought of my website name. It's uh, John McEwen. <laughs> I added .com and she says, well, who's dot? <laughs> that, that was years ago. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, have a good rest of your day. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Will. Thanks, John, for chatting with me about the book and the album. Check him out online. And while you're at it, give me a follow on Facebook and Instagram like and subscribe to the show it really does help till next time everybody have a good one <laughs>